Today, I'm going to be speaking about fasting. And for many of us, fasting sits squarely in the category of things that are hard but are good for you. Things that are hard but are good for you. And I'll give you an example of other things that are in this category. Jogging. Oh, I know it's healthy, but at what cost? It it is the worst. Um, Chris and I went jogging recently, which makes it sound like we do it regularly. We don't. We jogged for two kilometers, which apparently isn't very far. It felt far. But also, halfway through that jog, about a kilometer in, we stopped at a friend's for an hour for a cup of tea and a biscuit. So it wasn't really jogging. But anyway, when I got home, my legs were so wobbly that I fell down the stairs and broke a toe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what happened. And and I was annoyed because I thought, yeah, jogging really is the worst. But then I thought, now that my toe is broken, I will no longer need to jog. I've got a good six weeks off before Chris is going to try and persuade me to do it again. So jogging's on the list. It's the worst, but it's good for us, apparently. Brussels sprouts. The room might be... Yeah, the room's divided on this front. Um, I think hard to swallow, but good for the health. It's disgusting. I agree. I I think they're disgusting, but some some people disagree. Uh, Childbirth? I mean, I don't know, but apparently it's really hard. But it's really good for you, because you get a baby. Hooray! Hey. And then, you know, fasting's on that list. You get the idea. So in seriousness, fasting might be a challenge, uh, but it is so good for us. It is so good for us. Uh, take a look at this quote from Arthur Wallace. Uh, he's a chap who's written a book called God's Chosen Fast. I think he wrote it in the 70s or 80s. Um, when exercised with a pure heart and a right motive, fasting may provide us with a key to unlock doors where other keys have failed, a window opening up new horizons in the unseen world, and a spiritual weapon of God's providing mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. It's amazing. And my prayer for this morning is that those of you who have um, fasted before and who uh, love it and, or, or are convinced by it uh, will have new strength for fasting in the spiritual battle. And those of you who perhaps have never fasted before or um, who've perhaps done it once or twice in the past will be inspired to give it a go, to just give it a try. So what is uh, biblical fasting? Fasting involves abstaining from something, usually food, for a period of time. And biblical fasting is a spiritual discipline. It is a physical act. You know, we don't eat food for a period of time, but it trains us spiritually in obedience to God. And there are three kinds of fast in the Bible. Uh, There's a normal fast, and that involves abstaining from food but still drinking water. There's a partial fast, uh, which you might know of in the story of the prophet Daniel, where you might fast certain kinds of food but still eat others. Or, you know, some people in this church have told me that they might fast two meals a day and eat one. That's a partial fast. And then there's also something called an absolute fast, which is, uh, only occurs in exceptional circumstances in the Bible, and that's fasting food and water. And it's worth just saying here that the human body can't last for longer than two, maximum three days uh, without drinking. So I, I, I need to stop short of saying, don't do that. 
um, because, you know, God might lead you to do it, who knows, uh, in exceptional circumstances. But be very wise uh, if you do, and probably tell someone else. And fasting isn't a command. That's worth being really clear about. It's not like a central uh, cornerstone of our faith, but it is an expectation. Uh, Jesus expected that we would do it. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father. He's talking about the danger of it becoming a pious act and not an intimate act with the Father. But he says, when you fast, he's, he's assuming that we will. And then in Luke, Jesus is questioned why he and his disciples Uh, don't fast in the way that the Pharisees do, why they're feasting and drinking. Um, And he says this, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And the bridegroom, he's talking about himself. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And those days are these days. The bridegroom has been taken from us. He's not with us in body anymore. He uh, he, he saw into the future that there would be a time when his disciples and followers would fast. So it's not a command. It's not something that needs to be a millstone around our necks, but it's an expectation and an opportunity. And beyond that, uh, fasting is a gift and it's a weapon. It's a gift and it's a weapon. And there's this moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, some of you might know, where Father Christmas shows up, and it's a bit of a weird moment. Not quite sure what's going on with the allegory there, but anyway, Father Christmas shows up, and he gives some quite inappropriate gifts to some children. Uh, He gives, there are three children, uh, Edmund's off being Edmund. Uh, He gives Peter a sword, Susan a bow and arrow, and Lucy a little healing bottle of lotion, and a dagger. Uh, and this is, their, this is to prepare them for the battle that's about to come. So they're presents, but they're weapons. And it, it, for me, that's a bit of a picture of spiritual disciplines in general. They're gifts, but they're weapons. And if you imagine that fasting is like that little dagger, you know, it might not be the weapon that you pick up most often. You're probably more likely to pick up prayer uh, more often. But yet, we still need to ask, oh, you've, why have you given this to me? And what am I supposed to be doing with it? And I think that image of the arsenal will hopefully reassure those. There are some people, I need to say this, who shouldn't or can't fast. You know, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding or you're unwell or food is a particular difficulty for you in some way, um, there are other weapons in the arsenal. You don't need to miss out. So why, uh, why do we fast? There should always be a primary motive to fasting. There are all sorts of reasons why we fast, but the primary motive, the one that comes top of the list, is God. We fast unto God. It matters that our heart is in the right place. And in Isaiah 58, uh, verses 3 to 4, God speaks about his frustration at his people not fasting for the right reasons. They get all annoyed about the fact that God doesn't do what they want, um, They say this, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed yet? And this is God's voice. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. 
Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Their behavior betrayed the fact that God was far from their minds when they fasted. They were all about the benefits and not actually about him. And that's a risk for us too. We can easily think, if I'm going to do something hard, if I'm going to fast God, then you better, you better come through for me and answer what I, my prayer is. And, and it's, it's subtle uh, because God is a God of benefits. He is a God of answering our prayers. It's about this order that the benefit giver comes above the benefits. So I needed to start by saying that once the motive is right, there are loads of secondary uh, motives for fasting. And I wanted to give some real life examples. So I asked a few people from our church, why have you fasted in the past? And here is uh, just a few. Uh, One person talked about praying for a shift or an upgrade in their devotional relationship with God. Sometimes you might hear yourself saying, I'm really struggling to pray and read my Bible. And that's quite normal. um, But sometimes you hear yourself saying that, over and over and over and over again. And this person fasted to see that breakthrough. Uh, Lamenting and praying for family members. The word this person used was desperation for family. And actually in the Bible, fasting is almost always in the context of lament. So it's about uh, taking time out to pray in a deeper way than we might otherwise manage. And Someone else, for motivation and opportunity to get out of the church bubble and into community, they were finding that they just were a bit stuck. They just, all of their time was spent doing church things and they couldn't see a way out to try and be effective in mission. Uh, To prepare in advance of deliverance ministry, we don't see it very often, but this does go on behind the scenes. Sometimes someone will need some prayer ministry that goes deeper, that requires something to be really pushed out. And um, often our elders are involved in that kind of prayer ministry. And it was an elder who said that in advance of this kind of prayer, he, he fasts. And lastly, this really inspired me, to receive compassion to engage with bigger prayers for the UK. I, uh, if I was invited to a, a prayer meeting where the purpose of it was to pray for the UK, I probably would think, what's the point? Now, that's awful, isn't it? But that, that just goes to show that sometimes your heart doesn't feel big enough, and God's heart is more than big enough. And sometimes it takes a bit of fasting for us to really, you know, receive the heart of God to pray those bigger prayers. I'm really pleased that person is praying for the UK at the moment. We need it. So how does fasting link with spiritual battle? Uh, There are two things I want to draw out of scripture today. Uh, Firstly, that fasting is used by God to set us free personally. And secondly, that fasting helps us to see things as they really are spiritually. And that leads to victory, which you've heard a lot about this morning. So let's start with being free. Uh, Fasting isn't about punishing ourselves. It might feel a bit like it, but it isn't about that. Quite the opposite. It's about setting us free from things that have started to control us. Sometimes things control us without us even realizing it. It's about getting our desires 
in check. And for some of us, that might be related to food. You know, we can often use food to make ourselves feel better without even really thinking of it or uh, to fill the time or we can't stop thinking about it. That's my thing. I, you know, it can really rule us. Um, but it might not be food. And remember, we've talked about it being a physical act that trains us spiritually. So this discipline is about shedding light on the spiritual. So if I can learn to resist the urge to eat, I can be trained to resist the urge to overspend or to gossip or to lie. You know, that sometimes happens to me. I, I hear myself exaggerate. I think, why did I say that? That's not true. And sometimes those things just, they rule us without realizing. And they can be hidden until we allow time for them to come into the light. So if you've got Bibles, could you turn with me to Luke chapter 4? Uh, I'll read from verse 1. It will also be on the screen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The Bible's best understatement. (laughs) The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. If you've got that chapter open, uh, keep it open because we'll come back to that chapter. So this is Jesus fasting for a long time. A really long time, and he's led by the Spirit to do it. He is tempted, but it's not only food he's tempted by. It's not only food he's tempted by. The first thing is food, the kind of fleshly needs he might have. He's saying, No, I'm I'm gonna submit those to my spirit. The second thing he's tempted by is by authority and splendor. And that's the kind of glitz and glamour and self-importance kind of authority and splendor. Not the kind of authority that we know Jesus has. And lastly, the devil wants to kind of 
pollutes the relationship that Jesus has with his father. He's got a relationship of loving submission to the father. And he's saying, oh, put him to the test, go on. Those are the, temptation, the three temptations of, of Jesus. So this time of fasting in the power of the Spirit does two things. It exposes these temptations and it enables Jesus to resist them. It seems a bit strange to say that Jesus needed to somehow be trained to resist temptation because he was perfect. But Jesus did engage in spiritual disciplines like praying and fasting, and they strengthened him. So this time of fasting exposed these temptations. It enabled Jesus to resist them. And he resists them by something the Bible calls the renewing of the mind. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means taking captive the things that aren't from God, the wrong ways of thinking, the sin, the wrong behavior, and replace them with the true word of God. And Jesus does this. Man does not live by bread alone. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So just like Jesus, when we fast, our temptations and sins and wrong ways of thinking are exposed. And that's not very easy. You know, we need to make sure we're wearing that full armor of God when we do it. But when they're exposed, we resist them. And we allow our loving God to renew our minds with the truth. And it, it's really important we're free. The image I had um, was that we might be trying to overcome darkness in all sorts of places in our lives, but resisting the enemy can be as simple as turning the light on in your own house turning the light on in your own house and Jesus is the light of the world we don't need to stress about evil things we just need to turn the light on focus on him rely on him um there's two kind of risks here. One is that we see everything as a stronghold of the enemy. Oh. And the other is we see nothing as a stronghold of the enemy. And I sort of flip between those two things sometimes. So I wanted to kind of give some examples, um, some kind of indicators that might help us just to get thinking about what those things might look like. It's really about persistence, things that won't go away. Maybe there's a pattern of behavior that you've really tried to get past. It just won't go away. Maybe it's something like fasting and praying that would help to break that pattern. Um, feelings of jealousy that won't go away. Um, I think the enemy really wants to ruin our happiness for each other, our enjoyment of each other's blessings, and the fact that um, a blessing that is given to Ruth is a blessing that's given to me because we're the family of God. Um, I've had that before where I really love someone, but I'm really jealous of them and it won't go away. And maybe fasting uh, is, is a tool that we can use to do that. 
Persistent lack of compassion or struggling to care. Um, I've had that too, where you might hear something, uh, someone's suffering, and you just, you know, you go and have a pizza or something. Um, or an evangelism as well. Uh, you might really struggle to care that your friends come to know Jesus. Uh, that might be something, if you notice it, it carries on, uh, can require fasting. Um, repentance, you have a think about what you might repent of and you can't think of anything. And it might be that you're perfect, in which case, congratulations. Uh, but it's, it also might be that over time, um, your sense of what's spiritually going on has just sort of been dulled a bit or has quietened a bit. And uh, the last one, weary of church and irritated by its people. Those two things go together. Um, and uh, having a bad Sunday, I'm not talking about that. We've all had them. Uh, but when it won't go away, you know, the church is the hope for the world and the enemy stands against us. So that's an example. There are more things that you can think of. Maybe um, there are things that are coming to mind. It's about persistence, uh, those things that won't go away. And fasting could be a tool that would break those things and renew our minds. It's about hearing the truth that can battle those things. So uh, my second point then, uh, fasting can enable us to see. And when I was preparing for today, I had two pictures. Uh, One was of a meandering river and the other was of a viewfinder. And if you're on a boat in a meandering river, uh, you could be at any point on the river and have no idea what direction you're heading in. But actually you're going in that direction. You're heading for the sea. And the other one, I've got to be honest, I don't get viewfinders. Um, When you've made all the effort to get to the top of a summit, and that doesn't happen to me very often, see previous uh, conversation about jogging. Um, If I've got to the top of a summit, I've found the view. I've found the view. I don't need a viewfinder. And You know, why do you pay like a pound to zoom in when you were zoomed in at the bottom? It just seems really strange. Um, however, that's kind of the point. The point is when you've got the big picture, when you see the small picture, you see where it fits. Um, and I believe God wants to give us his perspective on spiritual realities. When we see the big picture, we understand the small picture. And there are two things that I believe he wants us to know. And we can see through fasting. One is, Jesus has ultimate authority and Satan does not. (laughs) Hooray. Jesus has authority and Satan does not. So have a look back at Luke 4 with me. Uh, Just at the period after this uh, fasting in the wilderness. Two things happen after this fast. The first is that Jesus goes to Nazareth and announces himself. You can see This from verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He announces his authority. That's the first thing he does after this period of testing and temptation. And then the second thing he does, have a look further down the chapter to verse 33. This is his first miracle in Luke, is to cast out an evil spirit. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. Be quiet, Jesus said. Come out of him. I love that. He doesn't even respond to the spirit. Just says, shut up, get out. Jesus has authority and Satan does not. And the second thing that God wants us to have sight of is that we are given authority in Jesus. So authority, Jesus first gives authority to the 12 in Mark. And it says this, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And just in case we might think that's just for the 12, right at the end of Mark, his version of the Great Commission has Jesus saying this, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And the first one he gives, in my name, they will drive out demons. That is a core part of the ministry of the early church. And it's intended to be a core part of our ministry too. Do we know that we have it? Do we know we have this authority? The enemy does not want us to. Jesus has authority, Satan does not, and we are given authority in Jesus. Just in case it's a little bit unclear how that links with fasting, I want to give another biblical example. Have a look, if you've got Bibles, have a look at Esther. I'm going to be dipping in and out of chapters 4 and 5. So this is an amazing story. It's a time where there's a king called King Xerxes, and Esther is a Jew, and she is selected from amongst his harem of women to become his queen. Uh, But she hides her nationality as a Jew because her guardian, Mordecai, advises her to. He advises her to keep that quiet. And there's an evil character in this story called Haman. He's a royal official, and he became enraged because Mordecai would not worship him. He would not bow before him. And so he did something, well, he he really blew it out of proportion. He managed to persuade the king to decree that all Jewish people in the land be destroyed. And it says in chapter 4, verse 1, When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, 
he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. They're terrified. They're absolutely terrified of what's to come. And Mordecai urges Esther to beg the king for mercy. And she hesitates, and for really good reason. And she tells Mordecai, if anyone, the law of the land is that if anyone enters the inner court of the king without having been summoned, they will be put to death. This is not a very nice kingdom. She says, I'll be put to death if I go without having been summoned. And Mordecai responds with this. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. And Esther evidently is moved by these words because she has a think. And she calls for an absolute fast. She calls for that fast that is food and water And she calls for a period of three days and nights. This is an extreme fast. And the exceptional circumstance is the destruction of her people. And then it says this in chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. I can't imagine what she's feeling at this time, but what a moment. She gets up, she puts on her royal robes, and she stands in the inner court. She knows who the real authority is, and that is God, who she's been fasting to, She knows the authority and responsibility that she has as she puts on her royal robes and she stands in the place where she's not supposed to be. She stands in the presence of the enemy. And meanwhile, Mordecai shows even less respect for Haman in chapter 5 verse 9 It says, Haman went out that day, happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. He neither rose nor showed fear in his presence. So somewhere in this three-day fast, fear is gone. And I just noticed this parallel between Mordecai's attitude to Haman and this be quiet, come out of him from Jesus. You know, we're not giving evil a second look here. We're not even going to get up. We're certainly not afraid. We know who's in charge. We know who isn't. And we know he's given us authority to stand and be brave. And fasting helps us with this. It's not everything. The Holy Spirit gives us authority. But fasting somehow allows a genuine godly authority to arise, one that sees spiritual things as they really are. Um, 
I want to give a personal testimony here. I, uh, for the last sort of year and a half or so, I have been quite anxious about preaching. Uh, so I, um, I really appreciate humility. So humility before people, humility before God. And uh, it's, it's, it's a value I, I really appreciate. And then when I started speaking, I started feeling quite afraid that I might lose that. Um, and I, the, the key phrase was that I might overstep my boundaries. And uh, this really annoys my husband, Chris. Uh, for months, he's been like, oh, shut up, just do it. Stop worrying, just do it. He's been a bit like an angry cheerleader. Like, Come on! <laughs> And I have to say, I've mostly been ignoring him. Um, and, I, and the thought I thought is, well, he's, that's all very well for him, but he's not as humble as me. He's not as holy as me. What does he know? Um, during a time of fasting recently, God spoke to me really clearly in a dream. And what God said was that the enemy was lying to me. Uh, the enemy was telling me I was overstepping my boundaries. And uh, whereas I had been listening to the voice thinking, that must be God because it's about humility, and humility is really good. God said, no, the enemy is actually twisting the truth. He's masquerading as wise. Uh, Actually, true humility, God said, is knowing that I'm in charge and you being obedient to me. And by the way, I want you to speak (laughs) Thank you. Um, And it was a bit like a light came on, much to Chris's irritation and satisfaction, probably. Um, But God, so God wants us to know and see the truth of what's going on in us. And it can be subtle. And sometimes it takes something like fasting to uh, really unlock and expose what the enemy's been doing to unblock our eyes and ears. So my last point uh, is that when we fast and pray, we really understand and see God's victory. And all of the people I spoke to about fasting had stories of spiritual breakthrough. And that's really great. Uh, So do it, because there is spiritual breakthrough available. I wanted to finish on a story of uh, when I was 16, I was really blessed with a little Christian friend called Claire. She's not little, she's the same size as me, but she's lovely. And she is still my friend today, actually. Um, And she was a little powerhouse of faith. We were all a bit scared of her. She was the one at break time who would come and round us up to go to Christian Union, like, put down that donut, come on. And um, I remember her telling me that she was fasting and praying for our other friend, Nikki, to become a Christian and I didn't say anything because I was a nice girl, but I was thinking, weirdo. And I, and I thought to myself, poor Claire, she doesn't need to do that. She doesn't need to do that. She's putting herself through hardship. Typical Claire, typical intense Claire. And sometime later, um, Claire invited Nikki to come along to a worship evening we used to go to in Cheltenham called The Path. I think it's still going on. And... Um, and that evening, Nikki gave her life to Jesus. 
she's still a Christian today. Um, and I remember her seeing her, her with her arms in, air, in the air with worship, and all of us were like, oh my goodness, this is so great. Nikki's become a Christian, and we were all really excited. And I remember turning and looking at Claire, and she was weeping. She was weeping. And she saw and felt the magnitude of what had happened in victory in a way that the rest of us could see, but we saw it in a shallow way. And that was because she'd gone to the depths with God. So I'd love to encourage us to fast and to give it a go if you haven't before. Um, I haven't had time to go into uh, practicalities. There are some pitfalls to avoid. And so I just put together from the various bits of reading I've done just some really practical advice if you, um, if you want it and you can come and take one at the end. Um, but uh, really, I just want to, my prayer is that we would give it a try and I can see uh, that God's shining a light, uh, turning a light on in our house uh, is going to really uh, empower us when we go out to shine his light outside. Um, for now, though, I, uh, I believe that God wants to come and minister to us. And that idea of him turning a light on, it's not something we have to try and engineer. Um, so... I wonder if we could, if you would like to stand, but whatever position would be helpful for you in terms of receiving from God, if you'd like to do that now. And I felt that God wanted to come uh, in his holy presence and shine his light on us. Um, so if we can wait um, and give him time to do that. I'll stop talking, but in a moment afterwards, we will. Uh, there are things that we want to pray for people for. We've got some words of knowledge to share. But let's, let's now, in silence, um, wait upon him.